You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. No, you're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. No, you're listening to a podcast of a Spurious Morality. No, you hang up. What we should have done is come up with a sort of Adventure Is My Name type song and actually done it. Oh, God. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think... It's like 3 a.m. here. I don't think I could like, get away with singing that. Can we... <laughs> right, should we do a podcast? Oh, if we must. <laughs> so. Welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. Uh, this week we are here to talk about the very, very early days of Big Finish. Uh, this is sort of part one of two. Part two will come in about six weeks' time, give or take. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at the very first series of Bernice Summerfield audios. And to do that with me, I have Alex. Yo. And I have Tim. Hello. So, um... Spoilers this week, it, it, it is just that really early Big Finish stuff, that first series of Benny audios, which uh, were adaptations of books. So are we spoiler warning, warning the books? I suppose we are. Okay, that was the easiest spoiler warning we've ever done. Um, <laughs> so we're going to dive straight in and we are going to talk about Benny series one. So, just very, very quick fire. I'm going to ask you both. What would you say is the best release in that series? Alex, you go first. Uh, just War or Beyond the Sun. Um, I like, I don't know, I like the darker stories. That's That's been my thing. Um, and I find that they're both, they've both got a lot to chew on. And so I, that's why I like them. Yeah, fair enough. And what about you, Tim? I think I'd have to say, oh, no, it isn't, is my favourite, just because it's just, I just have so much fun with it. Yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed re-listening to it last week. It's yeah. a lot of, I've, I've enjoyed re-listening to the whole series, actually. Like, there hasn't been anything in there that's terrible. Um, yeah. We'll talk about Dragon's Wrath later, but otherwise, it's been a great series. Yeah, these first five, um, they they have like a really nice arc mm. to them. Uh, like it's a, actually it's a proper series. It's like a solid like introduces themes at the start and it pays them off at the end. It's it's really good stuff. 
Yeah, I'd agree with you. Um, and it, it's, I mean, it really sort of does start to tie itself together properly when we get to that Time Ring trilogy. And I think actually Big Finish playing with the trilogy format so early on in their run uh, sort of really defined what they went on to do afterwards um, with Doctor Who, amongst other things. So um, release number one was Oh No It Isn't. Um, it's the first ever thing that Big Finish did and it is often credited with being the thing that got them the Doctor Who licence. Um, it's an adaptation of a book. It's an interesting one to adapt, really, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I remember it um, when the book came out. There were a lot of discussions about it being like an odd choice to to launch the the Bernie's spin off range in the first place, and then Big Finish did the same thing. But it's, I know it's very charming. It's accessible. It's fun. It's light. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It, it well, it is quite literally a pantomime, isn't it? So and yeah, they, and they go like all in on that, and it's full of terrible innuendo and all sorts of stuff yeah excellent innuendo because like i have listened to this before so obviously this is my first time but there are a lot more dick jokes than i remember like i was <laughs> kind of surprised by that yeah it's dick whittington jokes just <laughs> open up for it. and then there's a point halfway through where it gets a bit meta and goes okay no more dick jokes uh, let's go to a ball. Oh, the king's balls get bigger every year. <laughs> yes. Do you um? Just... Do you guys have a lot of experience with pantomime? Is it like a big thing for you guys? Like, I don't think I've had a lot of experience with balls. And... <laughs> I've never yeah. been to one as an adult. I went to a few when I was little, and probably didn't get any of those jokes. I certainly don't remember any jokes like that. Um, but yeah, that that's a real thing. Sort of pantomimes being full of dick and ball jokes. Tim, did you? Because like they're just not a thing in Australia. They're just um, I have I had no experience and no reference point with this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I saw like over the last few years, I've, I've encountered like examples on TV, like in Psychoville, or um, there's uh, it was an episode of Extras. That that um has the Ricky Gervais character um be forced into doing pantomime, but that's just we don't have a tradition like that in Australia. Oh, it's yeah, it's huge over here. Yeah, I, I did go to a few when I was young, and I remember at my primary school at the end of each year, the teachers used to put on a sort of pantomime play, which was quite fun. We learned a little bit about um. I did drama in high school um, and we learned a little bit about it, but more as a, as a concept, we never saw any or had any presented. And I remember I'd, I'd, I'd heard, oh no, it isn't, I think literally like a month before we had this class. And she was explaining, my, my teacher was explaining what pantomime was. And she was talking about like, you know, you know, it's it's got a lot of audience participation and all this kind of stuff. And I, being the idiot that I was, I was like, oh no, it doesn't. And she just looked at me. Like I, I was just contradicting her. Like she just, like it would just, it, the joke completely <laughs> flew over her head. Like everyone else in the classroom had no idea what I was talking about. I was just being like super rude as far as anyone thought I was thought it was going on. It's just, 
it's just like a completely different um like frame of reference Next to, oh no it isn't that might be my favorite pantomime story ever <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> um but yeah it, it's i mean it is one of those weird sort of british traditions that, i mean the the play itself sort of i'm assuming the book itself actually talks about the origins of pantomime because it's what benny happens to be sort of studying when all of the weird things happen um so there is some stuff about the origins of pantomime in there but yeah it's this sort of slightly odd tradition and it it genuinely is take your kids to the theater over christmas and watch a load of dick and ball jokes fly over the head <laughs> it's the only way i can describe it I can hear you both sniggering in the background now. Like, so I guess like the the Christmas like special that you guys have, uh, like not just like the Doctor Who style Christmas special, but like the the general kind of like everyone get together and and have like um like a slightly boozy, very silly, very you know that's 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 like an extension of the pantomime in a sense, like it moving to television. Uh, to an extent, yes. Um, traditionally, Christmas specials are sort of a bit light-hearted and think like uh, the Feast of Stephen. I suppose it's the closest uh-huh. Doctor Who's ever got to actually doing pantomime on screen. Um, yeah, yeah you're telling me that of... the Ragnos Queen wouldn't like fit perfectly into like this Aladdin <laughs> style. Um... <laughs> I think the the style of acting would, I imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, it 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 is definitely inspired, uh, but sort of British TV, and it was EastEnders that started this in the eighties. Suddenly decided huh. that actually the Christmas special shouldn't be all laughy and jolly and irrelevant. It should be dead dead serious. And suddenly Christmas specials became dark, and it was the excuse to hand out divorce papers and kill off half your characters and it's it, the sort of TV it's true no. and the TV sort of channels sort of realised hang on a minute Christmas day everyone's just sat watching the TV so our ratings skyrocket so let's have the most rated episode of the year being the one where ten characters are killed in an explosion in a snowman factory or something like that and that's... Was this during the Russell T Davies era? Well, I don't know that one. Doctor Who does do it, though, because <laughs> how many Doctors have we had regenerate at Christmas? Is it three now? So my favourite tradition in the Russell T Davies Christmas specials at the end where the side characters would be like, oh, look, Doctor, it's snowing. And the Doctor would be like, no, that's not snow. That's the ash of everybody who died earlier in this episode. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That that very much sums up um, the British Christmas special, and it is absolutely an extension of pantomime. Um, I wonder what we'll talk about in our uh, podcast Christmas special now we've covered it in June. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, oh, yeah, it isn't. I, sorry, just to draw it back to. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, you go, yeah, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, I was going to do the same thing. You go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, to bring it back to, oh, no, it isn't. 
Oh, no, you weren't. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so weird um, looking at, like, a lot of the firsts in this story because, like, a lot of the things that, like, a lot of the things that are very typical of Big Finish now already existed back at this time. I mean, not just, like, cameos by people like Nick Briggs or um, I don't think, oh, no, it isn't, has Gary Russell or um, Barnaby Edwards in it. Uh, but and Mark Gatiss is there. Um, yeah. But there's other, like, interesting little things here. Did, um, like, the Professor Candy character is a Stephen Moffat character who then turns up in um, Closing Time, I think, of all things. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're the uh, they're Rivers' um, l- lecturer? Or maybe it was like, oh, in a, no, like I... an extra little special thing. I'd never spotted that. That's brilliant. Yeah. I'm just going to be pedantic here and point out that he appears in Let's Kill Hitler, you fake fan, fake fan, fake fan. <laughs> and, and also, maybe I misheard you, but I can, I can promise you Nicholas Biggs definitely does appear in Oh No, It Isn't. I remember because of his performance as the fairy godmother. Isn't he Prince? <laughs> Prince Charming, isn't he? Yeah, and the Fairy Godmother, which is something. <laughs> um, I thought another. Oh my god! <laughs> another first that it sort of contains is recasting a classic Doctor Who actor as a a new character. Which okay, at this point they didn't have the Doctor Who license, but it is actually also something they continued into. Uh, the monthly range, uh, but this has got uh, Nicholas Courtney in it as Woolsey. Uh, so which good, is, is fantastic. Just Brilliant, genius bit of casting there. And it, it's there's not enough Nicholas Courtney that they never did enough with Nicholas Courtney at Big Finish. Um, so I think every performance there should be deemed as something quite special and precious. Yeah, I do find it quite nice at home. Lots of the uh, Doctor actors agreed to take part in these at, at the very beginning when they didn't even have the license, and it was just about this. Oh yeah, no, um, Liz Sladen as well. Like it's 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 so like shocking to hear like a big role for her with like it's very well acted. She's so good mm. in in um and. Uh, or, or Colin Baker turning up as well, and like I think every single story has in this season has at least one or two, like Doctor Who regulars, turn up, and they're they're all like surprisingly well cast. I like I really like the the the, the choice to cast them sort of against type or playing interesting sort of weird characters. Like Colin Baker is like a super soft spoken, like he's he's such a he's such a mensch. He's such a great guy. Um, and like this is still back when Colin Baker had this reputation for playing like really aggressive, scary doctor, you know. Um, and it's just lovely hearing him do like a completely different performance. Yeah, yeah it it, um, it does the same with uh, Sophie Aldred in um, Beyond the Sun, doesn't it? Has her as a a bit of a baddie. Your husband acting is so funny. <laughs> it's, I mean, I mean there. Are, there are some very interesting casting decisions, most of which work. There are some interesting acting decisions that either do or don't. 
And I think the thing that Oh No It Isn't has going for it is that all kind of gets papered over by the fact that it's supposed to be this over-the-top pantomime. Everyone's an exaggerated version of the character they are in the real world and that sort of thing. I think because one problem that a lot of big Finnish audios have is that they struggle from being a non-visual medium. You have lots of scenes of characters explaining what's going on. And I think that, and despite even pantomimes being a very visual medium, I think this story, it's, it's somehow, it really doesn't suffer from that as much as you think. Mm. And it really pulls it off quite well. I, I guess because like you've got that tradition of 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 of, of theatre like announcing stage directions like what ho here comes my lord from like Shakespeare and such, um, and yeah. so Panto sort of has a lot of that as well. I guess not that I have much experience with it. No, no, it's it's an excellent point actually, and of course a lot of the audience participation um, it is sort of dependent on visuals you know a thing that an audience often shouts out is he's behind you you know it'll be the good guy saying oh i don't know where my pet cat is and the cat will be just stood behind him he's behind you and obviously it's a very visual thing or it's a response to a visual thing i think there is actually he's behind you joking uh in the play but um yeah they actually work around it really well but I suppose they're sending up the genre as opposed to aping it, which kind of helps. Anyway, so after Oh No It Isn't came Beyond the Sun, uh, which you said was a favourite, Alex. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, it's uh, I like the I like the whiny students. I think they're great. Um, I love um, I love all the Ursula Le Guin like references in the script. Um, like the um like the what are they called the ursulans or ursu ursu right yeah because they're named after Le Guin. um uh uh sophie aldred's character even has like a whole speech where she talks about it she doesn't name Le Guin by name but she's all just like all these artists and scientists who came together to build this anarchist society and then you're all dumb and and she's she's the one that walks away from omelis Right, because she sees that the the society is built on this lie of of of, of colonization of ownership, because the the anarchists are all about radical non ownership, um, and 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 she's just like you guys are all hypocrites, you guys are all liars, um, you live in this super privileged state, and I'm here to like wreck you and destroy you, um, uh, because of your your hypocrisy um along with some other bits and pieces um and there's a lot about like tamika um sort of going from this being like super materialistic girl to being someone who like attempts to be more giving and um less selfish uh while emil sort of has to sort of uh, come into his own and discover sort of like this this freedom about himself like he's he's a massive mary sue's author self-insert but um He's he's still, I think he's quite appealing because of just like how like pathetic like it's an excellent voice performance like how how pathetic the character is, um and him sort of discovering this inner strength. I don't know. I I, I find it all I find all the character stuff really compelling. I don't know. What did you guys make of it? I find it interesting what you're saying actually about sort of compelling characters and that kind of thing because uh, Matt Jones obviously 
who wrote it, he wrote the book and the adaptation, went on mm. to write for Telly Doctor Who. Um, and he did Impossible Planet and Satan Pit, which, when you think about it, does actually explore some of the same things. Um, he also wrote Dead Man Walking for Torchwood, which, again, it's about sort of that sort of discovery of inner power, that kind of thing. It's pretty much Owen's journey in that episode. Um, so sort of quite a while later, best part of 10 years later, he was still exploring the same themes and bringing them into the Hooniverse. I guess with maybe less of a leftist political slant to it, though. Um... Yes. I think that's reasonable. I have to admit, Beyond the Sun is... It's one that I struggled to click with. I didn't dislike it. Yeah? Um, I didn't dislike it by any means. It's just, it's a very, very sort of heavy listen. Like you say, it's quite a dark story and there are some very sort of uh, broad themes going on there. And, uh, uh, yeah, I've listened to it a couple of times now and just both times it's, I think it probably requires more concentration than I've given it. Um, which is a it's a me thing and not an it thing, I suppose. I think it's interesting how they've they they toned it down in the adaptation. Um, yeah. The 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 original is it's a lot meaner. The the Kitzinger Doctor Kitzinger character played by uh, Anik um, Polly um, old mate. Annika Williams. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible with names. Um, she's a she's a mix of like three different characters from the uh from the book two of whom die they go on this huge rescue mission um to to save this this dying man's life um and not only does he die but the doctor they 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 kidnap to to um to perform like life-saving surgery on the guy also dies um and then the story ends with um in the book, Iranda, not Miranda. I, I don't know why they added the M in the um in the adaptation. I think it's interesting though. Um uh Benny kills her at the end of the story. Um uh, like she just straight up murders her. Um as opposed to the adaptation which sort of pushes the um the that responsibility on the, the Tamika character. Ah, they are some interesting differences. I suppose maybe they didn't want to present audio Benny as a murderer, although two stories later she kills someone in Just War. So I suppose in Just War it's kind of out of desperation and a Nazi. But um, I mean Miranda yeah. is as is, is a fascist and um, yeah, and and it's uh, and she's also trying to murder somebody at the time. So. It's it's maybe they didn't want to do the same plot point again. I don't know. Um, I guess I, I I do think it sort of takes away slightly from the themes. Well, were they thinking far enough ahead so that they wanted the murder that Benny commits in Just War to have more of an impact by not having to kill somebody in this mm. one? Sort of were early big mm. finish kind of that on board with their character arcing. I suppose they must have been, because like we've said, it's it's a very coherent series. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, it's my thinking. Um, but anyway. Oh, sorry, uh, Tim, I feel like I've, I've monopolised the conversation a little bit. 
And that's why I didn't really have much to say with that. Sorry, like, Sophie Aldridge is always very hard when people let her play the fiddle. Because there's another Vienna audio with her as a villain, which is also very fun. So I think they finished let her play campy villains more often. I'll say about Annika Wills, I actually really enjoyed her performance because it, maybe it's just because this is 1999, so it's this is obviously much older than everything I've listened to with her recently, but I feel like it's nice to listen to her with performing with her natural voice instead of the poly audio is where she's always like trying to like tone tone it down mm. like a bit younger. Mm. But yeah, I think I think I think it's a very good performance. Yeah, definitely. It it was good to hear her in it and I'd actually forgotten that she was until I re listened to it uh, earlier this week. Um shall we have a look at the third story, Walking to Babylon? Which is, yes. as we've already mentioned, Elizabeth Sladen's kind of big finish debut, uh, mm. playing a very, very different character to anything that we'd seen her do or heard her do before. Um, and it, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, I think it was an interesting one for them to adapt, because I think to fully understand what's going on, you probably need to be at least familiar with... Uh, the also people yeah yeah the um the the opening where they they try to like really quickly gloss through like what a people is or who the people are and then they don't they can't say time lord um yes because the idea is that the they're they've got like a non-aggression treaty with the time lords and the time lords are the people who make the, the who've made the time rings for, 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 for benny and jason that are used to they're the MacGuffin that sort of starts this whole trilogy um and and so they sort of have to dance around both introducing a whole bunch of lore in a sort of naturalistic and fun way. I think it's really fun that scene. Uh where um where where he's accidentally brought like basically what, like a human nuclear bomb or like a human being or like, you know, a, a, a person with like immense cosmic power into her like, you know, apartment. And and he's rummaging around in her her, her like study while while Jason is just making a pride of himself. Um, it's just a really really fun scene, but it's like it's it's quite deft I think writing from Jack Lorena, but it's still like it's still a lot to introduce. Yeah, and it seems to get moving pretty quickly. That sort of, I remembered that early section being quite a bit longer than it actually was when I re-listened to it and we were sort of done within 10 minutes and on our way to Babylon, I thought, flipping out, that moved quickly. That, But it, like you say, it was very well done. It's kind of the info dump doesn't feel like an info dump, despite there being an mm. awful lot to get across very quickly. I, I just think it's interesting as well that the, uh, this adaptation, they sort of avoid a few of the, the things, or they contradict a few of the things introduced in the also people. Um, like uh, God... The, the giant supercomputer that's the size of the sun, but it's like a huge character in the novel and it's a huge part of, you know, people's society is completely absent from, from the adaptation. And that, so you, you, you do unfortunately lose a little bit of like, you know, God has doomed Babylon and, and all that kind of, you know, metaphor and, and, and that, that, that threat. And the other thing that's interesting is that the, um, uh, the opening to Ben Aronovich's The Also People has like this um, this phonetic breakdown of how you're meant to pronounce um, how you're meant to pronounce uh, the names 
of 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 um all the the characters um and what they call them um aspirated consonants um and it's just you meant to like click your tongue or like or do like noises uh, and they just don't do that at all they just they just pronounce them like completely differently i think it's fascinating but they were just like no nah, we, can, we can't make our actors like like a like um every time they want to talk about some character's name in the adaptation i suppose um yeah it probably wouldn't work too amazingly well on audio would it it's a good one for jason this and we haven't talked about Jason yet, and he's a very, very strong part of the series, very important part of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, like He's there in Beyond the Sun, but he's absent for a very large chunk of it um, and doesn't do particularly much. Whereas this one, he does kind of play more of a role and sort of there is a bit of a development between how he and Benny react and obviously it's come straight out of the new adventures where there was kind of an ongoing probably slightly more linear story between the two of them whereas again this had an awful lot to establish okay Beyond the Sun gave us oh yeah he's my ex-husband but this is really the first audio that begins to examine that relationship and a kind of establish where it is in the big Finnish universe, as it were. I, I think he's a good character, and I think again, sort of very good early days big Finnish casting. There, he really wanted to. There's an interview at the end of of uh, Walking to Babylon where Stephen Fuel uh, talks about how he he petitioned for it, like he wrote to he wrote to her, and he was like, "I really want to play this part. Uh, get me this part." somehow and he auditioned and he got it oh no he didn't audition she auditioned he didn't have to audition mm. yeah, um uh, I, I listened to those extras the other day and can't actually remember anything from them um in typical me listening to extras kind of way but <laughs> yeah it, it's again it was a really bit of spot on casting and it could have been make or break because he is essentially the second big Finnish regular after Lisa as Benice herself. I, I think it's it's interesting. Like the character's quite blokey on 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 the page, but um, but Fuel brings like like a slight like I mean this in a good way patheticness to the role. Do you guys get what I mean? Like um, like there's a bit there's yeah. a bit like yeah. He, he doesn't he doesn't seem that like dangerous or or uncomfortable or off-putting even though like on some level he probably should be it's sort of like an innate mookiness mm-hmm. but I, I i quite like that approach i think that's it's good that they were able to add more to the character in audio when really i suppose you'd expect a character on the page to be a bit more layered but again yeah, it's yeah. just it shows how strong these adaptations. Uh, I, I like that he brings were. like little touches to the performance, like um, the opening just war where he's getting drunk with the the race car driver that he discovers as a Nazi, um, and he has this bit where he's like, "Oh wow, I didn't realize you were German because his magical translator did it." But like literally, like a minute beforehand, he's doing a mock German accent, like imp- impression of the guy, 
Like he's like, like I like that. Like he's just he's just dumb. He doesn't really think at times. I think it's a really cool. I don't know if that was scripted, like that he does the impression and then he's like, "Oh my god, you're German? How did I not know this?" Uh, but I, I think it's I think it's a really interesting layer to the um, to the character. And he's just he's just thinking about the, the performance all the time, and his voice is so different in those interviews to how he sounds. Um, do you guys yeah, have like a, like a he, double take when you heard them? Yeah, it it genuinely took me a moment of hang on, who's this then? Before you know, before he said, "Oh, I'm." I play Jason. Like, oh yeah, you do, don't you? I immediately do this big, the big book, big British published about like Bernie Summerfield, like the inside story, and the section on walking to Babylon is very interesting because it's mainly about so uh, the that Kate Kate Allman wasn't very happy that they announced that they were adapting it without telling her, and there was a lot of back and forth and drama between her and Carrie Russell, which is, yeah, eventually I didn't have time to read the whole thing, but it still looks very interesting. And yeah, and... So, so what, what happens? So, really gather, so when they first announced that they did it without telling her first, and she wasn't happy about this, but I think because the agreement they made with that big finisher made with the virgin books or whoever had meant that they didn't need to go through her. <gasps> so she was peeved off about that. And because she did want to work well, like have some input in it. And like at one point I think she was threatening to like prevent them from being allowed to publish it. Wow. Is, yeah. Obviously, I'm not describing it as much as interestingly as it actually is, but I think if anyone you know, doesn't have a copy of this book, go check this out. Looks... I have read something about this because there's there've been quite a few new adventures, both Doctor Who and Bernice, writers who have ended up buying back the rights to the books they wrote because they basically wrote them and retained no rights whatsoever so it's there's some real up in the airs about who owns the rights to the new adventures and characters mm. within them and that kind of thing it's a little bit of a minefield and i was always surprised that big finish were able to do the novel adaptations range because of it my guess is that because version big is now defunct i'm guessing that the rights would have defaulted back to the writers. I think that's my understanding, which could very easily be wrong. Mm. But let's let's walk from Babylon and to Birthright, which is it's a bit different because we're now adapting a Doctor Who new adventures novel as opposed mm. to a Bernice Summerfield one. Uh, and obviously the big thing missing from it is the Doctor and Ace. Although the Doctor's barely in the actual novel, if I recall correctly. He- he is and he isn't. Um, he's he's very much in Seventh Doctor, like behind the scenes, you know, uh, spider at the center of the web, pulling all the strings. But it's also a slightly evil future incarnation of the Doctor that turns up in the Ace subplot, which is what becomes the Jason subplot in the adaptation. 
Um, and he is, it's really interesting because he is the one that he turns up again in happy endings and he's the one that gives Bernice and Jason the time rings, which start the time ring trilogy. And then they go back in, they go back in time to the events of birthright and he's not in the story anymore. So it becomes this like weird continuity paradox. Um, like trying to understand the continuity of these is just important. I don't think that's important. That's important or, or, or necessary to understand or enjoy these stories. But I just think it's really funny for like they sort of they eat themselves continuity wise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, I've, I have sort of always wondered where these stand in just in sort of fandom circles in regards to canon and that kind of thing. Um, are we counting these? Are we counting the novels? Are we not going into that because that's a whole, like, 10-part podcast? <laughs> uh, but no, it, it, it's a very interesting point because, like I say, it's an adaptation of a Doctor Who book that doesn't have the Doctor in it. Um... And I don't think Big Finish had, at this point, they still didn't have the license, did they, for Doctor Who? Mm, I'm going to check my spreadsheet when things came out. If this was written and recorded at the same time as um, Walking to Babylon, then no, because they don't mention the time, like I said, they don't mention the Time Lords mm. in Walking to Babylon. Even the... Um, mm. The, the the Kate Orman book they they use mm. new adventure code Bernie's new adventure code for 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 table which is watchmaker um or watchman um and they don't even do that they just like don't mention the war that's it yeah yeah this was this was the last Benioti that came out before sirens of time so because this was February 1999 that and sirens of time was July. Right, so it's safe to assume that yeah, they they were probably late stage negotiations, maybe, but yeah, they weren't there, and I can understand them not wanting to pee off anybody by <laughs> sticking in a a slightly too heavy handed reference. No, no, sorry, so there's a few a few other things I wanted to say really about walking to Babylon that I didn't get time to. Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's fine. No, I just wanted to say that I don't know if any of you have read any of the Time Worm books from the original VNAs with the Doctor and Ace, but the first one has a lot of very interesting descriptions of Babylon and the priests and the child priests and <laughs> uh, their yes. clothing or lack of. So this book, all the audio was very much a fresh air after having listened to that. And yeah, and another fun anecdote I have is, you know, that story Benny tells the people about that archaeology mission she went on where she mm. went off on her own and she fell off a cliff and she broke her legs and she had to crawl up the cliff over the course of a month and she had to eat insects and spiders. And it was so effed up. Yeah. It was the funny thing is that it actually happened in a short story in one of the anthologies. That's what it's referencing. Yes. Yeah, the, the Demon Diaries. 
Yes. Yes. And I, and I only read that one after having listened to this audio, and I didn't know that it was referencing one of these stories. So, like, the other cause of that story is this. I was like, is this going to be? No, is it? Uh, oh, oh, oh dear, this isn't going to be fun. It is that one. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Orman loves torturing people. <laughs> there's um, there's another one in um, Life of. Uh, it's the one after the, the the collection is invaded and everyone's just trying to like repair and feel better. And everyone's like, oh, we're going to do a story about healing. We're going to do a comedy story about Betty delivering a speech. Um, and then Kate Orman comes in. She's like, you know what? We're going to have a horror story about being Betty being trapped in a giant ant hive. It's just like, and it's so, it's like, it's so messed up and it's all told from the perspective of basically the ant hive. And it's like, I see you inside me and you're just like, oh, whoa, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> Kate Orman going dark. Who'd have thought it? Cool. <laughs> I, I really love how, how, how wild the, like, the early Benny era stuff was. Mm. Mm, hell yeah I suppose it, it kind of being less linked to Doctor Who I suppose it was as linked to Doctor Who as it could be mm. which was still not much but mm. um, yeah, I suppose it did let them in some ways go even further than the new adventures did perhaps yeah. What, what do you what do you mean the um the 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 the, the big finish plays went further than the big than the the Bernie's new adventure books or went further than the new adventure because I I Sorry, would no, I books, would fundamentally disagree with that the books went maybe a tad further than um uh, than even the Doctor Who new adventures which you know there was a big furore wasn't there about how grown up they were when they first came out. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, I imagine you've read more than me, so you're probably uh, uh, more in a position yeah. to comment on this than I am. Yeah. But the impression I, I get is that from the new adventures I have read and from these mm. Benny audios that maybe, you know, some boundaries were pushed a little bit mm. more. Yeah, because... Because with some of my other friends, I've been we've been reading the DNA together. We've, we've finished the Time Worm quadrilogy, and yeah, these these are not these are not kids' books. No. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, not. But, oh, Jim Mortimer's pattern. So go on, yeah. Yeah, like like the first one, right? That's the one with all the naked child prostitutes and <laughs> lots of descriptions of which. And the big historical no. guest star is all like, "Yes, I love child prostitution. It's awesome." And it's just like, "Whoa, yeah. okay, guys." And then the second book, the big historical guest star is Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Who, did you guys know was being controlled by aliens the whole time? Yeah, Exodus, wasn't it? That time with Exodus. Interesting. Yeah, that was. That was that was that was a tasteful and 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 well chosen choice. Um, can we keep that? Can we keep that criticism? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes, let's. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it's. 
I, I don't know. I, I just, I get the impression from, like I say, the, my only experience with actually any of these stories is the audio adaptation. I haven't read any of the original books. I really must go and read Just War. I really want to read Just War. But, uh, like, if you want to, if you want to read some out there ones, track down a copy of uh, Parasite or Falls the Shadow. Like, Parasite ends with, like, they spend they spend like ninety percent of the book exploring like uh, one of those classic um EM bank style big dumb objects in space. And then uh, like about ten pages from the end of the book, Jim Mortimer is like, I have so much supporting guest cast. I, I guess I'll just like drop a tree on them or like a bunch of them just get eaten by a dinosaur or something. And um and then the book ends in the middle of like Ace giving birth to like like a space parasite and it just it just has a cliffhanger it just stops <laughs> and it's 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 like it's so out there as um oh and and one of the characters develops a tumor and then the tumor gets forced out through their skin and it's like whoa okay <laughs> yeah this, that. It, it it genuinely sounds like the, the new adventures are everything I've been told they are. I think right. Pretty much. They're so good. <laughs> you have to read them. Oh, it, I, I will. I, I sort of promised myself a long time ago that this is it. I'm definitely going to read all of them and then read the first two and kind of let it lapse a bit. So I do need to return to that. Um, But as I said, I, I'm very interested in one that I do want to kind of track down and read is Just War. Uh, and it's purely because of the adaptation in this first series of Benny. Um, it, it's definitely what I consider to be the strongest of the series. Um, mm. And it is dark. It, it's just like a good 50% of it is just torture. It's just actual torture scenes. And very unpleasant torture scenes. And I was kind of warned about this one before going into it. That a few people said to me, I know this one's actually unpleasant uh, because of how grim it is. And I'm told the novel is even more unpleasant. Yes. Um, and having said two minutes ago that I really want to read the novel, it now makes me sound like a bit of a psychopath. But. <laughs> um, like, no, it, it, it's, it's genuinely interesting that. You know, Doctor Who lets its regulars get very, very, very horrifically tortured in quite a lot of in-depth graphic, physical and psychological detail. Uh, I didn't think it was that graphic in this, like, in this in this story. Like, there's like there's one bit that really, oh, there's a couple of bits that really got me. Um, the bit where um where 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 where, where where Bernice is is dissembling. She's talking about how, oh, she's from the future. Like their attempts to break down her break her down psychologically, that's not going to work. She's from the free love era. It's all cool. Please don't cut my hair. Like it was just like it's just like that bit where she just tumbles from being like, yeah, no, I can bluff my way out of this, and it just gets. It, it, she's just like she's like she's talking herself out of her ability to bluff herself out of it. It's genuinely horrible. Like you can see her pulling, she can see it torturing herself, you know, before anything actually happens to her. Um, yeah. And the other bits, the um, the cigarette bit, that got me. Yes. 
Um, and uh, I'll add the um, breaking a hand and then continuously sort of messing with it and going back to it. And mm. yeah, it's, it's it's nasty stuff. Um, and it it's like I say, it's something you don't expect to happen to actually any character in Doctor Who, let alone one of the regulars. Um, but it did come from the new adventures which as we've established are different <laughs> I mean it's it's just a different flavour I, I wouldn't necessarily condemn them for being you know uh, more willing to explore like the, the, the nature ramifications of violence um in oh, some ways, I, I, I find it, I, I find it more honest than 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 certain other versions where everyone sort of like you know jolly holly sticks, hockey sticks. Let's you know, um, let's 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 flap around the flap around the cosmos, having like great adventures where everyone is traumatized and screaming, but everyone's like really fine and happy. Like, um, yeah, we're we're a uh, long way away from let's go and play cricket and go to a fancy dress party Doctor Who, aren't we? Yeah. Mm. You're not in Kansas anymore. Um, so, yeah, anything you'd like to add about mm. Just War, either of you? Mm. Yeah, so the thing is, this audio, because I have listened to this audio before, and I put up this memory of being a lot more like gruesome than I remember, but I think it really wasn't. I think, I think it's really Lisa Bowman's performance that really sells it, because just really good. Mm, mm. That's playing like torture victim like pain stuff uh, and like sit where they're where they're threatening to cut her hair mm, mm. and another bit i like this the bit where the general nazi person is interrogating her about the future and he just refuses to believe her not because of how mm. fantastical it all sounds but just because it's a future where the Nazis haven't won, and that's what changes it for him. Oh, yeah! Like Steinman is is fascinating because the entire time he's 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 torturing Bernice, he's just like, "Why can't you be reasonable? I'm a reasonable person. If you are all reasonable people, like all of the people that we're occupying, like you know, then then you would see that being a Nazi is actually really great, unless we have to kill you. But let's not talk about that." You know, and but, like, he's he's completely unreasonable. Like he even gets this diary, like at the end, that like has all of these facts about what's going to happen, and you you know that he's going to be thinking about that book as every single thing in that book comes true. You know, but you but he's just going to double down on his irrationality on being unreasonable. You know, it's just it's it's the um yeah. it's, it's the false tolerance of the right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's that sort of unwavering belief in the in something that's not correct, and that you've essentially got proof that isn't correct, but you're willing to ignore, twist that kind of thing um, to just sort of keep the facts along the road that you want them to be. Hmm. It's. I mean, it's the whole thing's a very, very interesting character study. Um. Yeah, 
I, I, I really enjoy Just War. I, as I've said, I think it is the strongest from that run. Um, and it, it's, yeah. it's very interesting to listen to. have to admit, listening to it for a second time this last week, it wasn't as dark as I remembered it being. Yeah, it, but, you know, the memory cheats to sort of dig up a famous Doctor Who-related quote. Uh, but still thoroughly enjoyable, still quite dark, still darker than pretty much anything else that Big Finish have put out or has ever been on TV, Doctor Who. Um, hmm. But yeah, thoroughly enjoyable story. Uh, shall we Shall we move on to Dragon's Wrath? Uh, I actually wanted to say something about Birthright. Um, no, so yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, and I wanted to talk about the casting of the the Jared Khan character. Uh, um, I, I I know that the Big Finish has a history of 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 casting non-white actors in sorry, no, um, white actors in roles that would like uh, that are written to be people of color, right? Um, and it's it's it can be very frustrating. I mean, I'm. Um, I, I'm 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 Turkish, and it can be very frustrating as like uh like a a person with like non-white heritage um to to engage with Doctor Who a lot of the time because um uh I mean not only is it very British and has that history of imperialism and such and such um it's like casting Elizabeth Sladen as like a as an ancient Babylonian like that's 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 a that's a choice but the the novel jared card is scottish <laughs> in the <laughs> novel um and that's not in this adaptation at all like he's he's a scotsman who's been made a mortal by um by uh by by an evil lizard insect queen from outer space and um and he goes on this journey basically like 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 stalking the TARDIS and so that's where he gets the name Khan from because he goes to like Kubla Khan's court and he gets really fascinated by Eastern mysticism and he comes back and he's like this total fraud um and and he he chases the doctor around like Elizabeth's court and he goes to he goes to hack like he just misses out on like the second doctor and the Highlanders um and then he sort of somehow turns up in like like, like that's part of the gag. Like, so much of Birthright is about people just missing out on the Doctor, um, um, and 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 this adaptation, he's just like a white dude doing like an, like 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 a subcontinental like Indian or or like you know generic accent, um, and it's it's it's. I don't. I don't know why you would make that choice. It's such, it's always been fascinating to me that they would make that choice. Because they do something kind of similar in the late Benny orders. Because there's one character who is <sighs> Japanese, but she's played by a white actress. But also the fact that she's Japanese doesn't really have any register. Yeah, have any um, like sort of importance in the story. So it's just. Why? Yeah, Maggie Matsumoto. She's half Japanese because she came off a she came off a product line in Japan. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's 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 an explanation. <laughs> um, she's got like she's got like like 
I assume, like, Anglo-Saxon heritage from her father's side, and, and her mother's side is, like, a packet of, from, like, off the shelf in, like, a Japanese supermarket or something, and it's just, like, it's, like, a fascinating idea, but it's also, like, what what, what the hell casting? Come on. <laughs> Decisions were made, and I don't think we will ever know why. I'm sure that profession is big because of Benny Summerfield somewhere. Yeah, it's if you're going to diversify your range of characters, then surely it's a fairly logical thing to do to diversify your cast to uh, kind of work along with that. Yeah, strange. Mm. Mm. Um, I was tempted to go for a really, really cheesy sort of transition there going and if you don't you might face a dragon's wrath boo no we won't go there (laughs) (laughs) Um, were you booing the joke or were you booing dragon's wrath um the joke (laughs) okay Are, are you referring to my joke or are you referring to dragon's wrath Man, you're gonna put me on the spot. I just told you like an hour ago. I don't remember a single thing about this story. I, like, fair enough. It's it's um, it's a valiant effort, and um, I like hearing all the old big Finnish regulars who just don't turn up that much in things anymore, like Jez uh, Jez Butterworth slash Fielder, or um, the actress play who plays Tamika is in this as well as like like. A British lady robot. Jane Burke. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you say you don't remember anything about it. I listened to it earlier today, and I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, and you've listened to it today as well, haven't you, Tim? Yes. It's basically a lot of running around and exposition and something about a dragon statue, but it's a fake, but this is the real one, but is that one actually a fake? And there are many dragon statues. <laughs> and something about... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, okay. I just remember yeah. how the play ends as well. Like, like, Bernice just gets f***ed off with somebody and just locks him in a room and is just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> and that's and how that's it ends. She's just like, I'm not that great a person. I... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's that, um, there's that, there's that, like, look, I, I know I'm saying like I'm trashing it. Like, look, it's, it's a valiant effort. Like, they, it, it was the first one they tried to make, right? And... And they had these sound design problems. I like think they had to go through like, what, like three different people that tried to fix it, and it's 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 like respectable. Um, I, but like, there's that interaction where 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 Benny is talking to the British evil robot lady, and she's like, "Aha! I know you're evil because you looked for coffee in the coffee tin, but that's where I keep my earrings." Aha! Um, <laughs> or whatever it is, <laughs> just like it's just like this the. Just like the, the the idea that she leaves her earrings in like this coffee, like what? <laughs> it's just like so casually dropped. I don't understand what that's about. <laughs> I mean, I, 
the assumption is they just want they expect the audience to just go, "Oh, that's so Benny." Uh, but <laughs> no. Um it's it, it it left me lost. Things were happening. They just sure weren't were. they weren't coherent from scene to scene and I get that it was sort of a botch job that was kind of pieced together as best they could and fair play mm-hmm. to them to actually for actually, you know, getting it done and released in a form that is in some way coherent. But yeah, they um it, it it's a really interesting one to listen to and it's one of two examples I can think of off the top of my head where a big finish release has sort of very noticeably been hit by some kind of production problems. Can I guess what the other one is? Oh, have a go. Colditz. Oh, no, actually. Uh, I was going to go... Really? Oh. Oh, what happened with... Like... Which one? Go on. A scaredy cat is the... Oh. Which is sort of 25, 30 minutes too short and again feels as though there are huge chunks that have just evaporated from the story. I think the problem there was it was meant to be divergent arc but never actually had to sort of hastily be rehashed to make it not divergent arc. But Yeah, um, that's with a lot of those base audios. Hmm. But yeah, um, it's called it's yeah again. It's there's some interesting sound design going on in there, isn't there? There's that. I mean, maybe we're slightly off topic again, but there's that really. I always like really spooky. There's like this laugh sound effect that's like a whole bunch of like soldier men like laughing, and they play it once, and then like five seconds later they play the exact same sound again, and they laugh in the exact same way, but it's cut off halfway through, so they just stop laughing. And it's just like it's like really weird and spooky, and it always takes me out of the scene. Um, and there's like a lot of like weird reverb stuff. Similar happens in Dragon's Wrath, doesn't it? Though as well. Yeah, there was something similar in a recent in one of the, in the newest Missy sets where somebody says a line of dialogue, and then while the other person is speaking, that line of dialogue repeats again. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, it's it in the first story in the volume three. Oh, that sounds like an excuse to revisit Missy. I think a lot of the remote recording led to like difficulty stitching the performances together. Like there's some there's some glitches that um someone else reported and I noticed in Stranded Four as well, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, there were just odd yeah. little Isn't there things. one scene in Dalek University where they just forget to apply the Davros voice to Terry Malloy. Oh, no. Oh, yes. He's, he just sounds like Terry Malloy for a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, and I to be fair to them, I didn't even notice that when I first listened to it, so... I mean, it, it, Terry bit... Malloy's performance is excellent. It, it does help. Oh, I love him. Oh, yeah, sorry. Dragon's Wrath, Dragon's Wrath. Sorry. Yeah. I'll shut up. Yeah, we are being... <laughs> Like we are being very kind of mean to it, but in its fairness, it did introduce the best theme tune. Adventure. Oh no, it's not. Yes, it is. 
Like going back to the pantomime thing. Oh yes, it is. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> oh yes, wait, you know you tricked me. Now I have to agree. <laughs> oh no, you don't. Um. Uh, yes, we do. Yeah, you're right. I don't have to. <laughs> it's it's. I look. I unironically love it. I I think one of the, I think the very first time we all got in a call together, like way before we the podcast was even like an idea of an idea. Um, uh, Tim, you put on the adventures of my name tune, and I I I just belted it out. I I love like it's I, unironically like it's like it's like it's like a torch song. It's like some sort of like James Bondy thing. It's like weirdly sexual. I love it. It's so good. Adventure is my name. Adventure is my game. You want to play it with me? Long pause. You want to play it with me? <laughs> that owns. <laughs> it's. it's... Um, I reckon. Jay, Jay called it the, the. Jay called it the gayest thing he'd ever heard. Um, <laughs> and he meant that as a compliment. I I think that we should. Um at some point put a podcast for spurious of i can't even say the podcast name now jesus i think we should put together a <laughs> podcast of spurious morality charity appeal sort of blue peter style and if we raise like 600 quid we will all karaoke adventure is my name and release it as a bonus episode Okay, um, so I will say yep. thank you and goodbye to you both. So thank you and goodbye, Alex. Ciao. And thank you and goodbye, Tim. Farewell. Goodbye now. <laughs>